0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Crush Popcorn. I'm your host, Mark Johnson, and with me today again is Stanford Turner. Hello, Stan. How are you?
1: Doing well. Yourself?
0: Uh, Very good. Uh, This is our second time of trying to do this podcast. We had a few technical malfunctions last time, so fingers crossed for this one. Um, So today is a little bit of a different format. We're trying to, you know, obviously uh, shake up our content a little bit and kind of see what works. So today we're going to briefly talk about just movies or content, maybe on streaming that we've seen that maybe the other person might have seen or not seen. We're just going to talk about them briefly and give them our thoughts. And then what we will always do each week is probably dive into or every other week, uh, something that's relevant within the industry that we can kind of just have a quick chat on, but without going into it too much. Um, So we'll see how this works. So so are you ready, Stan? Um, ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> so um, I did want to kick off with a movie. I think we were both hoping to see together or at least watch it and then kind of do something a bit long. But I think obviously time takes up, uh, uh, can be taken up quite easily. So I just wanted to kick off with my general thoughts about Judas and the Black Messiah, um, a movie that is obviously very pertinent right now. Um, it's up for uh, a couple of, at least a couple of officers. I think it's up for four or five actually, um, including best film. And I would have probably assumed best director. So it's a, it's a lot of hype around the movie. Um, I have to admit, I had a lot of expectations, uh, around the movie. It stars, well, it's about Fred Hampton, who was leader of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panthers in the sixties stars. And I may get the name slightly wrong. So please correct me. Stan is Daniel Kaluuya. Yep. Okay. I got that right. And he, it's a movie about how he was portrayed by someone within his chapter called William O'Neill, who is played by Lakeith Stanfield, both of whom you would have seen uh, in Get Out, uh, both fantastic actors. It's directed by Shaka King, who has done one movie before this in 2013, which I'm not aware of whatsoever. So this is obviously quite a big gap between the two movies that he's directed. I think he's done a number of different shorts. He's produced A few things, but there was definitely one movie that if you go on sort of Wikipedia, it doesn't even have a Wikipedia link to it, so that might suggest uh, the size of the movie when it came out. So, anyway, um, so looking forward to it, a lot of hype around it, fantastic cast. Um, I think there's also a guy who was in Breaking Bad who's the FBI officer. And just off the bat, I kind of, I was fairly disappointed with the movie. Um, and I think that might also come from the fact that I had higher expectations of it than many of the other movies this year. Um, I think the subject matter, but also the cast got me very, very excited. Um, And I just felt like just generally the movie didn't really pick a lane. So I think it didn't kind of focus in on either the leader of the Illinois chapter or the FBI informant or even the FBI stuff. And so I think it didn't do any of the three particularly well. Um, And I think probably the worst to come out of that was probably the FBI stuff. I felt like some of the stuff was kind of underwritten and not as hard hitting as it wanted to be and didn't give you a sense of scale or scope of or importance of um, Fred Hampton. Um, and so I think just because of all those moving parts, it didn't actually land any of these kind of separate kind of pieces of the structure particularly well. And so I felt it ended up being quite a, not as impactful Spoiler, but non-spoiler, because I'm not going to go into it, bar a particular thing that happens at the end that is very impactful. Um, I think outside of that, it didn't really do a good enough job of all of these different parts. And potentially, I think it includes some of these interviews, real interviews of um, William O'Neill. And that kind of reinforced is the fact that I don't know whether the film portrayed his position or feeling towards a Black Panthers particularly well. So you never actually kind of got that necessarily he cared as much as the film wanted you to believe. Um, so anyway, it's just to say, given everything that's kind of part of it and given the whole kind of all the kind of separate pieces that get you very excited, I felt that actually it was... Undercooked um, and will probably be forgotten, probably as a movie with his level of kind of um, subject matter of this. And so maybe maybe in other years with more other movies, it wouldn't even be up for an Oscar. I'm not sure. So it's, yeah, I think I was disappointed by it, which was, which was a shame. Um, I would love to hear Stan's thoughts when he actually watches it. Cause I think obviously he might have some slightly different thoughts. Maybe no, might know the subject matter a little bit more than myself. Um, and again, I'm coming from a slightly different kind of cultural perspective being British as well. Um, so yeah, that was my general thought.
1: Well, no, I, mean, I think that's interesting and I am looking forward to seeing it when, for that time is soon. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm just, it's, it's interesting to hear your take on it. Um, I realize, again, you, you, as you mentioned, that there are some maybe cultural norms and historical kind of elements that um, that may have eluded you. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I generally, I, you know, again, I haven't really tried to listen to too much of the critics yet on this, That's so I've tried to stay away as I, uh, I don't want to become, become too um, jaded or, you know, there's too much of uh, I mean, an opinion when I come into it, so I have abstain from large parts of the critiques. I mean, obviously, I've heard a little bit about it and the subject matter I'm somewhat familiar with. So, um, but I'd just be curious to ask you, you mentioned the, like, part of it just felt like it never picked um, a specific either character or lane or theme um, directly, but uh, what would you find, I guess, was there an element that you did find interesting in it um, that you wish they had pursued more or was there something in there that you just feel like... um, they didn't need it all. I, I mean, not to dissect too much in the film, but I do, I'd love to kind of get a sense of what, what you felt that gap was or what what you felt was missing.
0: I think it just, I think it did not a great job of stringing all the relationships together. So I felt like I never quite cared as much as I should do about the betrayal, which is kind of really weird. And then I felt like the FBI was kind of, like I said, undercooked until sort of the end a little bit. And so I think for me, it was you almost probably could take separate scenes and go, wow, that was a very strong scene. That was a very strong scene. And then, but when you start putting them all together, you're like, Oh, they don't really kind of fit together. So there are some wonderfully tender moments. And I really should remember the woman's name, uh, which is terrible, but who plays his girlfriend or wife. I can't remember. Um, Fred Hamptons and some of their moments together were quite tender. And I think they did a fairly good job of kind of showing the kind of more human side to, to kind of to this. But again, that kind of, at some point they took away by focusing on that for a while, you actually realized you were away from uh, William O'Neill's storyline and the FBI storyline for quite a while. And I was like, this is actually kind of strange. It was, uh, when you've got those kind of, especially two kind of arcs, plus the kind of almost third arc of the FBI stuff that you need. You've got to be very careful about how you balance that. And I think it was just, again, they just kind of didn't kind of bring these pieces together so that I felt like there was a fluidity and attention to all of the different parts. I felt like it felt tensionless and that was probably it for me because I felt like you should have had a lot of tension because each, each character's, position in, in, in this, uh, the his, in history is, is fueled with tension about what their choices are, motivations and all this stuff. So I don't know. So, were you, so were you familiar with the outcome? Um, I had, I think I had read something about it a while ago. And then I think there are that Chicago seven touches on even just briefly. Um, I think Fred Hampton's in the court in the Chicago seven and all this kind of stuff. Um, so, but not much. So I actually did come into it quite fresh, to be honest. You know, you obviously make your assumptions about where a storyline's going with the Black Panthers and the FBI involved. Um, so, yeah. Um, so, And I think that... that I don't think either way it would have really helped. I don't think if I'd known more it would have helped because it, I might have still felt it kind of very... not as impactful. Um, I don't know. And, if, and I think it just... I, I honestly think it's not really the subject matter. I think it was some of the choices of the director or whoever wrote the story um on how to position it and how to kind of intertwine these all stories I think was was where it fell down for me
1: interesting okay no no I'm again. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it and the um you know maybe uh from a different view or a different perspective it might offer a, a different lens on the the film itself as well as maybe just the um the underlying storyline that was Pretty, pretty. I think pretty relevant uh, today, and uh, of course, you know, it has massive impacts on
0: the African-American community in the U.S. So, um,
1: no, I'll be be interested to kind of revisit this subject <laughs> and, uh, when I've seen it.
0: No, absolutely. And I think one thing I will say before we move on, um, unlike a couple of the movies that I've reviewed recently, I felt like maybe I do need to go back and see this again at some point. Maybe I, you know, there, there, there are some things that I was expecting, and maybe I kind of need to rewatch that maybe like there were some subtleties whereas there's a couple of movies that I've watched recently which I gave a fairly good review to that I probably wouldn't necessarily go back to um I think we spoke about Sound of Metal I don't think I would probably revisit that again Promising Young Woman I'm not sure I would revisit that again let's not go into that right now um so whereas this one I was like although I was more disappointed by it and I would give it a lower rating than both of those movies um I felt like maybe maybe I need to kind of give it a bit of distance and kind of then watch it again and kind of see what my perspective is. And also kind of see where you come from. Anyway, that's, that's my short take on uh, Judas and the black Messiah. Um, so I wanted to move on to a couple of things that Stan has watched recently. Um, one was the WeWork documentary. Is it just called WeWork or? Uh, I believe it's WeWork. Uh, and I apologize if I screw up the name, I think it's WeWork how like forty like how a, um, a forty-seven billion-dollar uh, business uh,
1: goes to like zero or something like that to that effect. I'll have to look up the name, or maybe I'll just before I even kind of go into it, make sure that I'm properly uh, <laughs> properly naming the film. But it, it's a fascinating um, film on Hulu, um, you know, documenting the rise and fall of WeWork. Uh, and, and again, fall is a, I think a very strong word. It's uh, it's not in the best place, or it wasn't you know again with the in terms of the value of the company, but um, I think it just kind of really reinforces I mean the documentary itself is just largely focused on the CEO Adam Newman uh, and kind of just you know it highlights the you know this image of tech and I, I use quote unquote tech uh, because I think we uh, everyone has you know established that we work with a real estate company that incorporated uh, elements of tech into it and kind of had a newer uh, feel and um, and uh, just gravitas that uh, that was largely tied to other tech companies um but the the film itself was i think it's like an hour and like 15 or maybe an hour and 20 minutes or something and just uh really kind of highlights the one the rise of it and how you know how it picked up and uh kind of really carried the mantle following the financial crisis in 2008 and tried to kind of really help uh, uh, i guess the next generation you know millennials Really find something that they felt passionate about. Um, They, they really. I think the role of the CEO, Adam Newman, was highlighted as like you know Messiah who was going to try to bring these, you know, all of these this this kind of uh, just sarcasm and uh, I guess maybe issues with society that many many millennials probably feel towards following the financial crisis that you know the the world isn't really built for them Um, and. What, what you know? What he's providing is this kind of commune or this community place to to kind of work, to grow, and to build off of each other. Uh, that you know, again, I think oftentimes gets uh, sometimes swung positively and sometimes moves into a negative direction. That I frankly found that I, I found it interesting. Um, you know, I, I, just to kind of get my background, and probably you heard this throughout the. The, the few podcasts that I've been on now at this point, there's a bit of pragmatism, uh, tied into my, the, you know, my sentiments sometimes. And so, uh, it just really made me feel like, wow, you can be duped, um, by a company and really feel very you know, strongly about something. And then you realize that like, again, like that the CEO and the vision is really aligned with, um, with what you believe it can disrupt you. It can, it can really be, um, you know, lead to a, a darker place in your own, you know, kind of mental space. So, um, you know, most of the people on the, the actual documentary didn't really kind of go into like in that level of, of depression. But, you know, they did highlight a couple of areas in which, um, you know, as the company expanded and, you know, everyone was receiving equity, quote unquote, uh, you know, like there, there seemed to be an optimism. And then, of course, realizing that there's this like, you know, they're burning through cash so quickly. Like it's, it kind of highlights the financial, but it also highlights the, just the ways that the CEO positions himself. As uh, somewhat of as a you know like this this messianic character within his own company and I you know again I think these these type of films are are, are surprisingly well done I, I think I um in my, the previous recording mentioned it as like a fire festival less kind of just you know you're just watching something that you know is going to fall and or at least not land uh, perfectly. It's It's. It's almost in that vein. Like it's almost you know it's campus TV in that sense because of the that ability to just see that arc uh, happening in real time. And of course, outside of it, you can kind of see you know the effects of it now in terms of the, the way that uh, they're um, they've subsequently handled their you know almost the IPO to now kind of just figuring out the next steps um so it's a, it's a film i wouldn't necessarily say it's like the best you know documentary i've ever seen but it is i think it's entertaining um it may be something that you go back to just for the numbers and maybe more the financials um but the the actual just the storyline itself and just understanding the, the relationship of the ceo with the company and and how he handled that whole thing is i think it's just a fascinating watch
0: interesting and i definitely watch it i think especially when you describe it as a new fire festival we often like to watch uh people who have been built up to be knocked down in our society. So uh, one thing I would ask uh, before moving on to the uh, to the next uh, piece of content that you watched uh, that you would like to speak about, does it kind of touch on, because it's almost this kind of the, the new gods inverted comma is, is the tech it's the young tech entrepreneurs who've created these companies that are kind of disrupting markets and that, and how often they go from sort of almost kind of revered people to quickly kind of, I mean, you can think about all this kind of tech companies like Amazon and Facebook and all this kind of stuff where they've gone from saviors to not not necessarily failing in the same way um, kind of work as in terms of an IPO and all this kind of stuff, but have definitely, you know, the kind of she- the sheens kind of come off them a little bit. Does it kind of touch on that type of thing and people's positions on, on, their, on their kind of messiahs as they look at them today?
1: Sure. Um, yeah, I think that's that, that's a you know that's a good point that you you uh, just hit upon because honestly at the beginning of the film they, they try to kind of set this thing up as like you know again following the 2008 kind of financial crisis um, and and just generally I think corporate culture prior to the tech companies you know that just seemed to be a kind of very uh, rope and you know very inflexible kind of uh, environments of where you know you come into work. You eat your lunch, you clock out, and then that's it. Whereas, you know, I think tech has, has evolved and kind of is coming from this kind of place in which, you know, it's, it is seen as very loose and, can, you know, candid and young and kind of um, and hip and, and it tries to embrace all of these things um, while still providing you an opportunity to grow professionally mm-hmm. that we um, were definitely tried to kind of mimic and incorporate it in its own uh, activities. You know, they would have these... I think one of the, the the big things is the parties, right? Like this kind of subculture of of where you work hard but you play hard as well. That uh, they they really tie into. It. And I think, again, going back to the, the financial crisis, it, it's something that they you know they they, they remark upon as maybe the potentially the the reason why tech was seen as the the solution for many of the problems of the world. Like they saw it as. A way of really embracing and um, fixing some of the you know the structural issues in which income inequality exists, uh, the kind of work life balances that are are not usually struck in what was what was considered the traditional uh, corporate world, um, and finding that like as a you know not really the, the solution to everything. And I think again, as you mentioned, machine has has kind of fallen off many of the tech companies, and now they're you know like they were, went from heroes to villains, which you know is uh, as can be in the cases of most, um,
0: organizations and people that tends to happen There's an arc to that. And so, um, I think now many people with maybe within our generation, uh, and I say that as millennials, uh, that we, we do have, uh, you know, I think a, a bit more skepticism of, you know,
1: tech now in a way that I think is, you know, will probably affect the previous or next generations and that we also operate within it. So, mm-hmm. um, I th- yeah, it, It tries to. It doesn't necessarily go into great depth about it, but I think it
0: tries to kind of touch upon that. Okay, fantastic. Um, Moving on, what was the – I think you mentioned it was a cartoon this time. Um, Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) So uh, what is it you've been watching? I actually, since we last tried to record this, I have actually seen a few articles um, kind of talking to the cast and things like that, but I decided not to dive into it until I can actually uh, spend some time watching it.
1: Sure, sure. The, something, another the, uh, the piece of content that I, I think I've seen over the last week now is um, a, t- a cartoon, which uh, not really something that was my wheelhouse per se, but something I've slowly come to come to embrace um, is uh, Invincible. Um, it's an Amazon Prime original uh, and focuses on uh, superheroes, um, but kind of looking at the the. Uh, guest day in the life and uh i mean a quality of life of a superhero as well as some of the darker elements that you know, i think we we as um you know we as a society kind of view these people we put them on a pedestal in a way that i think sometimes it's you know there's there's more to them there's more depth to them uh and this one you know again it mimics much of the it mimics bits of marvel and dc and i think actually it may be even based on a, an actual um comic book mm-hmm. um but
0: I, I was attracted
1: to it largely based off of uh, i I, was, I saw one of the voices was voiced by uh, jk simmons who's one of the main characters um but uh his it had a ton of other like high you know i guess a-list actors or actors who i um respect and, and enjoy uh, most most films or most uh, pieces that they participate in so i i was immediately i think who else is in this Sandra Oh, um, Zachary Quinto. what's mm-hmm. um, us see, and I'm blanking on the actor from um, Minari, um the main character, uh, or at least the father of the film. I can't. Uh, who's obviously now nominated for an Oscar too? I should know his name. Yeah, failing at that part as well. So it, it is. I think again, given the the state of the cast as or the voices, at least at this point, uh, it was really a selling point for me. And I've actually, you know, the show is. Has its moments, um, you know. It can get surprisingly dark, um, much like their series, their real, I guess, um, real life, I guess, uh, series, The Boys. Um, and you know, it's actually quite graphic, but in a comic book kind of way that you're, you're you're a little bit surprised to see, just because of the you know again the nature of it seems to rely a, a juvenile or a, you know a kind of a youthful element to the whole thing. But uh, no, I think it's it's an interesting show that people will be. Uh, interested in, and it has you know, kind of it follows the the main character is this this, this kid of a of a super um um of the a Superman like s character superhero, uh, and he hasn't gotten his powers yet, and he's trying to figure out his, his figure out his role in life, and um, you know I think he you know eventually he finds that and it kind of starts to figure out what his role is within the superhero world, um, you know who he develops friendships with, and you know um, and who are his, some of his enemies. Uh, and then of course how he navigates that in his own personal life. So it's it's an, you know again, a bit young adultish slash you know like comic books would ne- necessarily again be for maybe a, a more mature audience, but something that actually it is meant to kind of really reinforce those things of like how does a superhero navigate the day to, the day in and day out of, uh, of life and, and and mixing the two things because of course there's a secret, you know keeping your identity secret mm-hmm. and, and making sure that you're kind of balancing uh, you know your work life quote unquote, work life or um, superhero life and, of course, your personal life. So good. And 40, 40 minutes a pop. So it's not something that's going to be a huge investment in time. And I think there are about six episodes in. So if you want to catch up on it, it's, uh, it's a good read. or oh, sorry. Good watch.
0: Interesting. I think there's um uh, there's a couple of things about sort of cartoons today that often um, they're able to kind of weirdly push boundaries, even if they're aimed at a little bit lower um, than then, sort of like a lot of other shows that I suppose, you know, have to capture maybe a bigger market. Obviously visually it's a little bit harder to kind of take risks sometimes because of just the cost involved in live action. So cartoons can obviously kind of do some very unique things. And I think there's been a lot, obviously a lot of examples of the growth of um, sort of narrative storytelling within cartoons over the last few years. So um, that's kind of fascinating kind of to see. Um, So I will definitely be having a look, seeing whether it's kind of something I will get into. Um, And and also I need to use my Amazon Prime account for something. So uh, other than office reruns. (laughs)
1: Well, and uh, you may, you may. Well, again, it's. I think it's airing right now. you know, depending on what part of the world you're in and you're listening to this, um, you may have access to it. You may not. Yeah. So, uh, just keep that
0: in mind. Yeah, that's uh, one of always the challenges. Okay, moving on. Um, so, I think the final thing I wanted to discuss um, that was kind of something we kind of touched upon when we first tried to do this podcast was recently Godzilla versus Kong has been seen as a Moderate success, I would say. I think uh, some of the articles about it have been way over the top, um, because I think people are starved and newspapers are starved for some kind of positive content around cinema. So I think it's made probably close to 450 million, 400, 450 million so far. So it's made its budget back, Godzilla vs. Kong, um, and probably now made a profit because I doubt they would have spent as much on marketing as they would have done pre-pandemic. So it's been seen as a fairly big fairly ish success it's done a lot of business overseas especially in China and I think it's done a bit of business in the U.S. more so than anything else done since the pandemic's hit now I just wanted to get a take on whether Stan thinks this means anything whether it's just timing um but, you know is this just basically some people can go to cinema and some can't <laughs> um, so what do you think of Godzilla versus Kong being a moderate success at the cinema well, um, you know, again, personally, not having seen it, um, I don't want to comment too much on the the actual film itself. But um,
1: I think as as we we look at this within the context of the the, you know, the kind of the industry and um, if this is a, an outlier, um, I would say it might it might be more outlier than actually the the trend, um, just because of the like, again the nature of the world we live in today, and obviously the uh, the pandemic has changed viewing habits and. Um, So I think this is just like this may be an opportunity where it's like people are getting the vaccine. theaters are opening up. Um, there seems to be, there's a need to kind of see something outside of, uh, outside of your own TV screen or phone or whatever device you're watching things on and kind of getting back into a large, a large, you know, cinematic experience is I think something this film is like uniquely positioned for. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know if every film could kind of replicate that. it, it you know I think it, it combines or it has a, you know again an established uh, IP that many people are familiar with, um, and so I think that kind of gives it a, a bit of legs in terms of getting people in and out uh, of the theater or uh, you know, in and I guess involved in the film in itself. That this may be I think again it's, it may be more of an outlier, but it could you know I think if
0: we continue to watch where the trends go, maybe this is one of the. the the beginning of another
1: new um the new movie experience and a blockbuster experience at least in, at this point.
0: Okay. Interesting. I think, um, I think we've mentioned this before on some of our podcasts, the aim is to actually dive in and really kind of spend some time, maybe just us two, maybe we get something else involved talking about the kind of state of the movie industry. Cause I think uh, I agree with you. I think it's just, it's come out kind of at the right time. Enough places are open across the world for people to be able to watch it at the cinema. And then there's a little tiny more bit of confidence potentially in the U S with some vaccines in some places for people to go to cinema and watch it itself. Um, um, and, you know, it's a type of movie that doesn't require much in terms of effort to watch it. So, you know, it's it's not you're not going to have to think too deeply. So it's almost like, you know, you're, you can take your children Saturday morning or, you know, like it's not it's, it's a very easy watch for five different people with five different tastes to have, even if it's going to kind of really annoy a couple of them within that group. No,
1: no certainly. I, actually, I would ask you is that so. As you're, you know, I guess as you're thinking about this in the, the context of uh, what rollouts of the movies look like, um, you, like, in my own view, again, as I, I think I think it maybe it's an outlier because of the unique uh, position that it's in currently, uh, do you see that, like, you think people will be embracing films more frequently then? Um, or is this something that, again, is it's a blockbuster and it kind of, you know, it has all the action experience? like. I mean, maybe putting, comparing it to what this, the new, was it the new Fast and the Furious movie that maybe I'll sooner rather than later, um, mm-hmm. like, I, 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 honestly, again, I can't see myself making the concerted effort to go through this, but like if others are interested in this, it, it is a very kind of fascinating kind of uh, watch in terms of how people view and kind of digest this, uh, and, and again, maybe it's just a, it's the, just a moment in time that just kind of happens to, to kind of encapsulate that. but. In terms of investments, in terms of how the studios think about this, uh, in terms of their rollouts, I'd just be curious to get your take
0: on that as well. Honestly, right now, I think it's a hard one because I think my thinking changes very, very quickly at the moment because we have sort of bad news sort of about variants or sort of some very conservative takes on on sort of what the next few months are going to look like. So I think it's market-based. So I think if you've made a film that you think can make $300 million in China... And people are going to cinema in China. I think you will probably have the confidence to roll it out because I think if you look at if you think can we make a hundred million in the in the u s maybe hundred and fifty max right plus if we can make like five hundred million globally um, with a strong showing in China, then that might be worthwhile sending it out now because I think we discussed last time one of the dangers for studios is the amount of movies, not just kind of $200 million blockbusters, but anything from $80 million upwards that are now just sat on the side of the road waiting for a release. And now at the moment, you've probably got a bit of bargaining power with Netflix and Amazon and things like that because they're kind of starved of a little bit of content, especially on the kind of cinema scale movies. Um, so they're probably willing to spend a little bit more money. I think they've just bought, Amazon's just bought the next two uh, knives out. No, not, not Amazon, Netflix has for like $400 million. So they're probably in a position where they're willing to spend that money, but when it comes to a time where they're being tapped up by multiple studios saying, we've got this ten, these 10 movies that we want to put out at the cinema, but also online at the same time, they're going to be like, well, actually, we can now start reducing our price because everyone's falling over themselves. So it's a neat, unique position where I think studios are... Do you release it now and think, can we get 500 million from it Um, because of a strong international showing, plus a little bit in the U.S.? Do we wait, hoping that things do open up and then we also combine that with an online platform, kind of paying a little bit for it? Or as time goes on, will they pay less and actually things are not going to get much better uh, in terms of people going to cinema? So I think it's it's a big unknown. But I think right now studios, say with Fast and Furious, are probably thinking – china is going back to the box office so we can make enough money to make this worthwhile plus a fairly good deal with a streaming service to say hey how about we send fast and furious to you a month afterwards it's been released in cinema give us 200 million that combined with five 600 million globally like total probably makes us into a, that, a that's a that's something we'd be very happy with considering the nature of a pandemic and i think that's probably where we are right now, I think, and it's going to be pertinent when we discuss it, I think, what that looks like in two, three months' time, I think when the pressure's on and places are opening, but we don't know quite what that's going to do to places, I think is going to be a far more critical question. So I think we are hitting almost kind of a break even kind of point where studios are going to have to make a decision and the, the timing of their decision is going to make the difference between a movie making back its money or them just getting hit after hit after hit when it comes to these these big these movies that cost so much money that are just sat on the side of the road. It's it's yeah. That's my two cents. No, no,
1: I, I agree. I think it's it's they'll have to find that balance of because I think online streaming is now kind of here stay. Mm-hmm. Uh so maybe it's like, you know, it gets a two week rollout or a two week run in the cinema. Um, and, or maybe even three weeks. Maybe you, you drag it out depending on a holiday weekend, or you may yeah. time it right. Um, and then you, you know, then you quickly either move it to an online platform, or even you, you do it concurrently. Like I, mean, yeah. I think there are certain films that will be able to kind of I think draw in people to kind of go and watch on a big screen versus you know actually watching it on TV. Obviously, this is you know, health health issues aside, and something that has to be a, a concern as well for the for the studios and the um, and the, the theaters themselves, but. Yeah, I think this is kind of... Actually, you know what? Maybe you may have just talked me into the kind of thinking about this in a different way. Like, if they only keep this film out for three weeks and then they're just like, now let's move it to a, a digital platform immediately, um, you know, I could easily see this being the new type of... the new standard, um, mm-hmm. if, if you will, uh, for, for how films are, if you know, measuring success or growing in, in, in stature. But at this point, they have to recoup their costs. So I would, I would imagine that... You know, we'll see. I think... This may be just, at okay, it's an outlier for now, but something that we'll, we'll have to kind of monitor, as a,
0: uh, especially in the coming months. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think also one thing, and again, we can go into some more detail, is at the moment they're buying movies, like streaming services are buying movies from studios to put them on. We, we've still got a little bit of unknown because obviously it's not really the one-offs. It's how many people kind of it drives to their platform. And like, so there's there's going to be a point where, the tailing off of the number of people going to a platform sort of happens a little bit. You don't, won't have exponential growth continuously. And so you're going to have this kind of scenario where, okay, it's not always going to drive that. So therefore, do we pay as much money? Like, again, I go back to Knives Out, a movie I enjoyed, but like, is that, it like, it it can be done on a fair cheap. It's not a particularly expensive movie, but is that going to recoup the money that Netflix paid for it Buy the third one, and is that then a model where they like, or do you have to do a six-film deal with, I don't know, Warner Brothers or something to put? I know they have their input, like streaming platform, but like, like I think there's a the, the model they fall upon in terms of I think streaming services. I think they haven't kind of quite worked out quite yet. Well, so this is this is a, we're not going to go into too much. Of this, <laughs> I, this was meant for a later discussion, but I, I do want to tease out. I think that model maybe evolving
1: and mm-hmm. i say this now thinking a little bit differently um at one point it was driving newer like new subscribers how can many people can come to the you know embrace the platform and a company like netflix for instance you know it being the most dominant uh, streaming company i don't think it's about new subscribers now i think it's about how long is this person on the platform and how do you monetize that yeah but i think was the question that i think we'll we'll figure it out uh, again this is a, for another conversation but i think it may no longer be about just driving people to your platform. It's about keeping them on your platform yeah. in, a, in a different way. So, um, two people, I guess, we'll kind of dive in a little bit deeper into that because I have some other ideas around that space. But um, I think it will be an interesting kind of uh, you know I think position for for studios and for for companies that are you know interested in getting content like you know like this movie and, and like
0: others coming. Uh, absolutely. Um, okay. We're going to leave it there because this was definitely meant to be a slightly shorter version of, of our uh, podcast. So I want to thank Stan for joining us again today. Um, Thank you. Yep, excellent. We'll be doing this definitely, I think, in the next couple of weeks again when we've both probably watched enough content to kind of chat about <laughs> it. And then I definitely think we're going to come loop back around to the discussion we've just had um, in the next, I think, in the next month to six weeks because I think the, I think it's changing quite rapidly. So I almost think this could be a series of podcasts. As as things change, we kind of talk about these changes. Are they going to stick? Are, are Like, are they right to double down on these in a, in a certain way? I think we just don't know. Um, so I think we've just only over started having that discussion. I agree that 100% streaming, watching movies at home, not just kind of shows or anything, but content, I think is here to stay. Um, and I think how that kind of now plays out and that kind of balance that movie studios kind of work out and streaming services work out is, is going to start shaking itself out over the next few months. So it's going to be interesting. So anyway, we're going to leave it there. Thank you again. Um, and thank you everyone for joining us and see you next time. PC load letter. PC load letter. What the fuck does that mean?